this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're back with another one of our patron-selected reviews. We've got a big episode, Jay, for just the two of us. A lot of stuff going on here. Uh, happy to announce, Jay, that we have re-upped our partnership with Studio, the Swedish headphone and earphone maker, and we are going to be talking about some new earphones that we are trying out. We'll be getting to that in the show. So, Can, can we talk about why we're doing this? Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, so, as you know, we don't do advertising on the show. Right. The only thing we've done in the past is with Studio because there's been a tie-in to some degree and also um we've been wanting to give away some products to yes. our listeners so we're going to be able to get uh get some uh, wireless headphones in some listeners hands so we said well, why not it's worth uh talking about one of their uh new products and we'll be able to share uh share the love and for you the listener any anybody out there can use the special code DMO, that's D, the letter D, letter M, the letter O, for 15% off their purchase at studio.com, which you can check out at that website. And then you can also check them out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, which uh, I, Studio Sweden on Pinterest, Facebook, and Twitter, and then just Studio on Instagram. We'll get into more on that later in the show. First, we've got to mention that this is a, uh, a patron-selected episode, and we have four new patrons, Jay. Four new ones. Dang. Yeah. Joining us, drumroll, Andy Solom, Nate Beckman, Christian... And Patrick Carter and Nate's at the th- Nate ponied up three bucks. Thank you, thank Nate. you, Nate. With this little with his little reminder, elf, you uh, head. Reminder: You can do that. Yeah, you Even don't have to. You, uh, the minimum's a buck, but if you're feeling generous and you want to support the mission and give a little bit more, we will uh, definitely uh, appreciate that. It doesn't put any more ping pong balls in the giveaway uh, tumbler, but uh, nope. it it does help us move towards our, our larger goals in the future. He, he's, he's covering for, uh, you know, a couple of lazy people on Facebook. They're listening for free. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Who aren't getting the bonus yes, content. I'm, I'm talking to you. Yes. So thanks to all those folks for joining us over at Patreon. Let's talk about James Stelter and his pick for this episode. It is, the uh, 1996 album, nice. Excuse me, it was recorded in '96. 1997 album, <laughs> "Free Mars" by Lusk. The only album by Lusk. It has a lot going into this record. Jay, have you ever heard this record before? 
I remember it because of the album cover is very distinctive and yes. I'm a design nerd and what is uh, that design, design type? Beautiful. Uh, I would say it is, um, shit. <laughs> I know what is it, it is. Postmodern? Uh, is it, uh, no, 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 no. It's, um, Neo Gothic. Avant-garde. Is that what I'm looking avant-garde? for? Avant-garde. No, I, sorry. I put you on the spot. I don't, I don't know what it, it just yeah, has a very distinct look. This. It looks like the, I, yeah, uh, I it looks like it came from the um, the artwork for Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. If you're yeah, familiar with that um, movie. Yes. Give me a second. I will. <laughs> I will get that for you. Look it up. So here's what uh, James said as far as his comments for this episode. He said, "I first discovered Lusk while working at Finders in 2000." Now, I didn't get a clarification if that's the Finders in Bowling Green. Or not, Jay. There are multiple Finders locations. But he said, purchased on the strength of the previous bands and the intriguing artwork, little did I know what I was getting into. Backworlds is hard to beat with an infectious bouncing melody. It's easily the catchiest song on here, despite the yeah, yeah, yeah ending that goes un- uncomfortably goes on and on. Undergarden is another favorite, and even with its repetitiveness, I find myself hitting repeat as soon as it's over. Likewise, with my good fish whiff good fishwife the whole album is an experience and best listened to in full if i hear one then i want to hear them all i'm a big fan of the lavish instrumentation whether it be horns and savvy kangaroos or the harp and doctor which brilliantly doesn't take itself seriously i also like the second half shifts in free mars and kill the king there is enough nuance and complexity here that makes free mars more than a casual listen Though the extra attention is rewarding and much des- much deserved, sadly Lusk only released this one album, but it does not mean the journey ends there. Medicine, Amnesia, Freesome Engine, and some other more obvious bands await. And I would add failure to that uh, list as well, because there's some failure folks involved with this record. So those were James' comments, Jay, on this album. Uh, so Art Deco. Art Deco, is, yes. Is it? It has a bit of futurism going yes. on. That's where you get the, like science fiction part, right? So Steve Metropolis Punk. is kind of the the movie Metropolis is kind of the uh, touchstone for what started that style. Yes, and became popular in the uh, 30s, 40s, and 50s. But yes, it's a gorgeous uh, design. That's what I remember about the uh, not only the cover but it was one of the um uh there wasn't a ton of cds a lot of most cds were sold in the jewel cases this one was like a um craft paper kind of booklet style mm-hmm. kind of like uh the second pearl jam album is like that right or the third one um yeah vitology so third one. I was, yeah i always remember it because of that too a digipack i believe is the term there you go so this band consists of Paul D'Amour, who would, was previously in Tool before this, Brad Laner, who was in Medicine, Chris Pittman, who would go on to be in Guns N' Roses, and Greg Edwards, who was in Failure at the time. He would also do Autolux. Those are just the main, I guess you'd say, contributors. Also on this record are Danny Carey from Tool playing uh, percussion, Kelly Scott from Failure appears on a drum, uh, one of the drums, as a drummer on one of the tracks. Um, 
And there's another of a, a number of other musicians, including so the harp is played by Patty Hood, is the name of the uh, harpist, and um, she would later go on to play, tying this back to Guns N' Roses, on the Chinese Democracy album. So interesting hmm. connection there. Multiple Guns N' Roses yeah. connections on this record, which I don't think you would make that connection. No, <laughs> not really. No, listen to this record. So in addition to this album, a seven inch was also released at the same time. Um, Backworlds was on one side and the hotel family affair was on the other. And Backworlds actually got a video and was played on MTV's 120 minutes in uh, uh, September of 1997. So let's get to our comments, Jay, over at Patreon. We got a couple. Uh, Peter Hirsch says, love, love, love this album. This is Still on my listening rotation at least once a month. One of my favorite moments on the album is in the song Doctor when the harpist is just doing her thing, not realizing the song is over, and then her laughter about it. He says, I met Paul Diamore while I was working at this bagel place in Seattle. A little while after this album came out, I was ringing him up at the register and I didn't and didn't recognize him right away until I saw his name on his debit card. I said to him, you're Paul from Tool and Lusk fame. And he said, I'm not in Tool anymore. I, re- I responded, I know. I love Lusk. Free Mars is great. He looked surprised that I knew of the album. We talked for a bit, and that was that. These guys, minus Brad Laner, played in Replicants uh, 2, doing amazing cover versions of great songs. Looking forward to hearing your take on the album. Now I'm going to have to go listen today. Uh, so there's now we, we have to tie this into replicants again based on the comments from Frank Garcia Hell who says this is a underrated gem glad to be it's being covered uh, he remembers seeing the video on 120 minutes and on the TV show 12 Angry Viewers Jay do you remember that on MTV mm, barely pick songs to, that would go into rotation 12. yeah 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 <laughs> wow so, I did that in a while he said, side note, I interviewed Ken Andrews in the early aughts, and I was so nervous, I said replacements. And he said, you mean replicants? I wish I was in the replacements. <laughs> and I felt like the dumbest. I'm sure that's not the first time that happened. Yeah, he said, I felt the, like the dumbest dong basket alive. I don't know what a dong basket is, Frank, but I, I like that terminology. Yo, do you? <laughs> it's, a, it's a good alliteration. <laughs> Or not I didn't realize. Okay. I mean, you know, any any good new, you know, swearing is funny to me. Matthew Barnes says, I can't think of anything else that sounds like this album. It's so trippy and layered. I remember reading that they went absolutely cuckoo caca with the editing and mixing of this. Greg Edwards' guitar solo on the title track is such a perfect combo of being kind of off yet melodic and brilliant. Not that I'm endorsing such behavior, but back when I was a much younger lad, this record was the best to listen to while under the influence of any psychedelic endeavors. And hell yes, the Replicants record would make a great one to review. Uh, And then uh, Whitney Biller says, I've only had time to listen to the first four songs so far, but not what I expected. Backworlds is so different. Very cool. There you go. Getting Whitney on board. So Jay, Free Mars. By Lusk. Tell me one thing you liked yes, about sir. it. Uh, it's original. Uh, yes. Didn't quite know what to expect with that mix of folks. Um, 
if I heard the record, I certainly didn't remember exactly what it sounded like. Um, so I guess I was expecting, yes, it's experimental, but there's also something like familiar, oddly familiar about it, um, which is, uh, uncomfortable. It kind of walks that cool line of being familiar enough that you, it can suck you in, but then as you peel it back and really analyze what's going on and then some of the, you know, couple tracks here and there or bits of sections of, of the record are, you know, really pushing the boundaries. Um, so, um, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy the first, just having a fresh kind of original sound, which is a plus, at least for this time. Now in retrospect, we can get into some of the influences that we hear here, at least, um, maybe where there were, coming from or at least what's what what's familiar to me um but then able to um kind of walk that line between uh, familiar and um, challenging so that's the part that i that i like about it most yeah along those lines you know i think this sort of group of people that um we've grown familiar with over the years like the failure greg edwards kelly scott um uh Brad Laner in connection with like uh medicine and these this sort of LA uh sound of you know, heavy but melodic and psychedelic and um you know this is a nice addition I don't think I ever really checked out this record when it came out I the the cover looked familiar but I don't ever remember listening to it and um I I feel like in listening to this like I see where it like falls into place with regards to like the Blinker the Star album and obviously Failure and Autolux and Tool and like there's all this sort of interesting use of uh, psychedelic music combined with um, shoegaze in a mm. very sort of and this one is probably the most I would say um, mannered. I mean, medicine is the one that gets really into the heavy use of distortion and, and that end of shoegaze. Whereas there's a couple spots here where this gets um, more shoegazy. If, if you're listening to like the slow dive end of shoegaze or the, or the lush end, as opposed to the, the more like grating, uh, you know, my bloody Valentine, Kevin Shields end, where it's, it can be like a big wall of, you know noise hitting you this is the more like drony and um lush sounding and lush small l not big l um so i really like that this really works well as a record and i really like the very odd choices i mean there's a harp on like six of the songs and it <laughs> it's it's a really interesting and cool choice that you know from 1997 that's a pretty uh unusual choice to make and it and it works because it it almost works like some sort of weird movie soundtrack that you don't quite know what it's for but like the it's like the uh, you know a lost soundtrack for some weird you know sci-fi steampunk uh movie that never got made or something 
it just it has this whole world of sound that is is very unique to it and i i uh kind of got lost in that listening to or i'd just be like you know there's you know a, a song like um uh track two uh savvy kangaroos with the horns on that song Track three has horns as well, and they not just... only horns. I believe some of that is saxophone. Yeah, and if you would tell me I would like saxophone on a rock album, and it wasn't Bruce Springsteen, I would slap your face. Well, but, I mean, because it, it like it, it works. It works in the same way that like you know David Bowie could pull that off too. And I'm not talking like young Americans style horns. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. T- the more the more like atmospheric stuff. Especially if you listen to like some of his horn playing on his the the most recent record um the before he passed uh there's some really like weird and cool horn stuff that he does on that record that is not in a you know jazzy uh, you know r&b yeah. style um so that's kind of what i would you know more compare this to so yeah well, I every, just... everything is used sparingly as well so you don't ever right it's layered in a way that you it comes together into a sonic like it's it's cohesive sonically i guess and then as you break it down you're like oh shit that's harp and wait is that a saxophone <laughs> like you know you, you just start deconstructing it, you realize the pieces and parts they're using but as you just experience it you don't usually with horns for me it's oh boy here are the horns like they're so overpowering and separate often in rock music of any format so in this they're not and a lot of this layering is just comes in and out and it intertwines and it's all mixed with other things and backed by other things so it's just like a sonic i don't want to say wall because that makes it sound like it's just you know dense but i think that's the other part about it is that it's not terribly dense like it still seems so focused somehow yeah like usually when you get into this much layering um it can get a little overwhelming sonically just just in, in the density of it that you just get fatigued but right. there's often a simplicity a weird simplicity about it and focus to it yeah even though it's you know layered from a overall you know presentation yeah the complexity i don't i don't feel like the songs themselves are these really complex journeys. It's just that there's so much layering of bringing things in and out that they seem more complex. And I think that's what they meant by the, 
the in the comments about the editing being and the yeah. mixing being so tedious that you spend so much time you know i look at if you go to um discogs you can see the breakdown of everything in terms of what guitars were played so it's in say like you know uh an uh, ac30 uh played you know here and 12 string here by this person and a moog bass here and an 808 drum here and so they really like kept track of you know on on for example on black see me um paul diamore plays like four three or four different guitar parts on you know there's a big muff get lead there's a a regular guitar lead there's a wah lead there's a synthesizer lead so like i mean there's just a ton of ton of stuff going on and they had like you said it's very sparingly used so it's like weaving that in when you can use it and then getting it out so that it's not becoming repetitious or, or repetitive i mean so on the familiarity influence side i'm gonna i'm gonna this has become my signature move i'm gonna pull a band out that that Uh-oh. uh may not have occurred to some people uh, there are at least two songs and a couple other moments on this record where they sound like ELO, huh? which is the, I didn't expect that going in, but, um, the hotel family affair and, uh, savvy kangaroos with that, that kind of bouncing piano and those bass lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, and then, and then it sometimes even combines it with the strings which I'm like, oh my god, that's signature ELO. Like that is what their sound was based on, a lot of the time. So that was one that was like, did not see that coming, but definitely made it fun for me. Um, am I nuts? No, I definitely that? got. Uh, well, at least from the Hotel Family Affair, I was like, this is very Britpop, British sounding. Not necessarily Britpop in the 90s sense, but just had like this unique sort of sound to it that like it has a bit of an energy that the rest of the record doesn't quite have in the vocal. No, it's got that. It's got that totally messed up guitar lead on top of it. Right. Which, you know, Jeff Lynne wouldn't have done. They would have used something else. Mm -mm. It's almost theremin like. Right. But the bed of the song, I'm like, that's really familiar, like in terms of. Yeah, I could also see, you know, Supergrass, uh, maybe even um, Blur, but I think the core, the sort of genesis of that of that particular type of piano approach and uh, that that layered orchestra, orchestral pop music is ELO.
Jay, we're about halfway through this episode, so let's talk about Studio and the headphones that we're checking out over the next yes. couple episodes, which are the uh, I learned how to properly pronounce them, Jay. Nivoa okay. is the proper nice. pronunciation. I went to a pronunciation website for Swedish words and plug that in. So we're checking out the Nivoa, uh, which are the – well, describe them, Jay. You, you're you you're holding them in your hands. I'm going to let you do the description there. Of First yeah, of all, what so, they, what, what's the box looks like and that kind of stuff? Sure. Well, they're there. Um, if you're I mean, most people are familiar with AirPods from Apple, so it's the mm-hmm. in-ear wireless. So you've got no connectors, no wires at all. Um, you basically have two earphones. One goes in your left, one goes in your right. So it's about as minimal as you possibly can get. Um, they they aren't they, the they're a little different in from. Uh, the Apple product because these actually go in your ear canal. So um, the benefit of that is you're going to get complete isolation. Like you're not, when you put these in um, and they have different tips, sizes to fit your ears. When you, when you put these in, you, you hear almost nothing if you've got music playing. So they're perfect for those situations where you want to, um, you know, have complete isolation. You don't want to hear what's going on around you. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, as typical with all their stuff, it's all beautifully designed, really nice presentation, uh, really nice little box. It comes in, I think, which is really cool for this type of earphone is that, um, you know, the one risk you have with these is this tendency to lose them because you could, they're not connected by anything. Right. Um, So they give you like this little plastic box that's a really nice little matte black uh, box that it also doubles as your charging station. Yeah. So um, you just set them in there. They like have a little magnetic uh, effect to them, so they kind of like lock into the into place into the charging pins. You plug your USB cable in the back, and then it has a lid that closes and opens. So you basically can drop them in there, charge them. Um, if you want to take the case with you on the go, you just disconnect the USB cable, close the lid, and you can take it with you. Um, it's got like a little le- leather strap on the case as well. So if you want to kind of wrap it around your wrist or around your fingers or something when you're carrying it so you don't drop it, you can do that. Um, comes with um, some additional tips. So I think there's three different sizes uh, that you can try out to see, you know, what's a good fit for you. Um, but yeah, overall, you know, all their stuff is, especially with that coupon code, I mean, these are great Christmas presents because, you know, they look good, they feel quality, the sound is really good, um, but they're not super expensive. I mean, these, what, retail for, what's the retail on these? These are 109 if you go to the website right now. So if you use the 15% code, you're under 100 bucks. Right. And they come in white and black. We got yep. the, I got the black ones. Yes, and I'm getting um, the white ones. And they, uh, just so people know some technical things which you can find out by going to the studio.com website um it's bluetooth 4.2 technology and it has 3.5 hours of battery life and then so you can charge the box and that can give you four charges without it having to be replugged in so you can get 17 and a half hours of charge yeah which is pretty amazing that's that's a lot of time for uh, rechargeable yeah. 
earphones. Yeah, and it's nice because you don't have to fuss with um, like plugging the headphones in. So we've I've had some other headphones where you you got to plug the USB directly into the headphone itself, and sometimes it'd be fussy like getting the thing aligned correctly. But with this, you like just lift the lid on the case and just drop them in. So even if like tomorrow I'm gonna go into the office, nobody's gonna be there because it's day before Thanksgiving. Um, but I'll be able to listen to these all day because I'll just drop them back into the case without even having to plug them in and be able to recharge right. them. So be perfect. So another nice aspect of this, they have free shipping worldwide. So the price that I mentioned, the 109, and then take your 15% off of that, I can't do math, so I'm not going to tell you what that is exactly. It's roughly 190-something, or no, roughly around the 90-something dollar range. There's worldwide free shipping. Um, and then any December purchases come with a gift box. So, I mean, I, you know, I've said it before, like we would be using these even if they were, <laughs> were giving them us for free. I bought them. I've actually bought pairs for family members because I was like, these are really good. And, um, yep. the trays also had, when we tested out the trays, they also had three different options for sizes, those were the ones that laid on the like in inner part of the ear, not inside the canal, but on the, I don't know, inside the lobe. I don't know what that part's called. Yep. Yep. Those would be, yeah. So it, it, it's like, uh, you, you should think about having a, several different kinds of headphones because they're all different for different reasons and different purposes. Right. Um, so, you know, the other, the tray are good for when you need to hear what's going on around you. But um, for those situations where you don't want to hear what's going on around you, you want something that's either completely over your ear or in your ear canal, which uh, these do very well. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more later about how they sound. And, yeah. But uh, so far, um, really impressed with the the design again and the packaging. So again, that's studio.com. Use the promo code DMO, which gives you 15% off your purchase. And... You can go to the website, and you can also check them out at Facebook, which is forward slash Studio Sweden, Twitter, Studio Sweden, Pinterest, Studio Sweden, and Instagram is just Studio. get back to our show jay and talk about maybe the things that didn't work for us on this record how about you was there anything that didn't work for you well i think the vocal is 90 percent successful mm-hmm. um you know there's a there's a certain production to it there's a certain um style of singing um it's somewhat limited i mean you're not going to listen to this and think wow this guy's an incredible vocal range um right so i think like i said 90 percent of the time it works there's some some songs where 
it doesn't work as well. And um, there's some other parts where you kind of wish you could go a little further. Um, and, you know, they make up for it. They'll do some layering or double vocal up or um, and, and kind of save it that way. Even do some harmonies. Like Gold has a really, like, Jayhawksy kind of chorus harmony in it, um, which is nice. Um, but I think that would probably be my only criticism for the record is just uh, it would be nice if you could just get a little bit more juice out of the vocal. Um, right. So primarily that's, that's, about it. that's Chris Pittman singing. Um, now, Brad Laner does sing a couple of the songs. He sings track two, Savvy Kangaroos. And then um, Greg Edwards sings track five, Doctor. And then Brad also sings um, uh, track eight, or excuse me, nine, Undergarden. And then Paul Diamore sings track 10, Kill the King. So I agree with you. Like the vocals are a little bit of an issue for me. I don't love just the sound of Chris Pittman's voice at times. Um, he does some really weird and sometimes they're cool. And sometimes they're like off putting um, in savvy kangaroos. He does this thing where he like, he harmonizes with himself. There's like some really odd. And I guess they're intentionally sort of maybe discordant. They're not, they don't quite like, work in the traditional harmony way that you think of like with a pop song and it just like threw me for a loop because it was like it it totally like took me out of the song for a second yeah i think um doctor is my least favorite vocal performance on the record um that one really stood out to me as obviously a different voice and limited in which overall just limited the song for me but um, uh, most of the others I, I, I found um, they suited the song well enough. Yeah. This is my, my end of it. You know, uh, yeah, not everybody has to be the most amazing singer, but the vocal that you, you know, pr- bring to the song needs to fit what the song's trying to do. Right. In most cases, I think it does that. Um, uh, it was gold, the I, song that I was thinking of that has some really weird. Oh, okay. Harmonies. I, I know what you're saying because, like, if you think about failure in Ken Edwards, Ken Edwards doesn't have a massive vocal range. And he yep. kind of has – he's in the same spot for the most part. But he utilizes it really well. Yep. And I don't, uh, I don't know I think if I know. The... What? Go ahead. I just no, – I, I think you just kind of have to know where your sweet spot is as, as a singer. And if you – I think it, his voice sounds thin at times or it's just the range. It's it's a little higher. So it just doesn't bring as much maybe gravitas. It's the word that, that Mr. Uh, uh, James. Uh, what's his name from from inside the actor studio? <laughs> gravitas. gravitas. James Lipton. James Lipton. There you go. I, I think I know what you're talking about in gold. Um, he. At times, in order to do the harmonies, he makes weird voices. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, like the harmony vocal is singing like this. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like to be able to try to 
create the harmony effect he's going for. He does this weird second voice sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't quite work for me uh, in terms of some of those choices, some of those like monster voice choices. I don't. I don't they're yeah. very su- they're very subtle, and there's not a lot of them, but. Um, I just picked up on him because I'm because I had it turned up real loud in my earphones because I wanted to like take it all in. Yeah. And sure. every time it would hit like there was one particular one and I would just be like, that's so weird. Why is that yeah. happening? Um, but you know, I, I think a criticism that I I'm probably going to bypass this time is that this is a you know it's a long record. It's um over 50 minutes but i feel like it works okay because Mm -hmm. the record is so like atmospheric and it's not trying to be a pop uh rock record like i i you know when you get into this you realize okay this is a band that's stretching out doing lots of weird things trying you know stuff with regards to production and with regards to instrumentation I mean, you know, Doctor is driven by a harp. <laughs> you know, there's just like, there's you're not getting three minute long pop songs, so you just have to sort of accept the fact that most of these are four to five and a half minute. Yeah, yeah, and that's just that's the, yeah, that's the style. I don't have any issue with it at all. I thought the length is fine. I think it works as a record too, like yeah. a full. Well sequenced, front to back. This is, you know, something you probably want to listen to in whole. Um, not that there's not some standout tracks, but I think it works really well collectively. Even the interludes and sort of weird, noisy sections and stuff. Um, I think it all comes together pretty well. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't, I don't have any criticism on on that. I mean, it it is it is interesting how like if you take a song like My Good uh, Fishwife. It's it's you know fairly straightforward in terms of what the core of the song is you know it's just a pretty good guitar and piano um, you know chord structure right and they and they just really play the same two two parts uh, twice that's the, kind of the whole song but there's like an interlude in the middle and like a pause and then they go through it again right um, so it's nothing like mind-blowingly complex but it's still creative you know what i mean it's like it, it's simple like what it started off saying like there's a simplicity to it and a focus to it but in some ways uh it's still experimental right which is not not typical you know it's not often that you kind of can say that about a record no i completely agree with you there there isn't these aren't songs that are like progressive rock where there's multiple time and tempo changes and stuff this is a much more laid back in terms of arrangement it's just that there's a lot of going on with the production and and in the creating of the sounds and the layering and the and what's being brought in and out and that's why i think it it works i think if this was you know started to lean more in the progressive rock end of things which or if it was like say you know a latter you know a 2000s tool record it it would get a little tiresome because 2000s tool got a little tiresome for me 
Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, yeah. And then I, mean, I don't know. Maybe that's why uh, Paul Dimore wasn't part of Tool anymore. Maybe he didn't want to do all the progressive rock stuff that they started doing. I want to talk about some of the contemporary um, references I heard too. So, Kill the King. Boy, the first half of that song sounds a lot like the Smashing Pumpkins musically. Like it even sounds like a Billy Corgan guitar riff and a uh, Smashing Pumpkins drum part, um, which is it's different because the rest of the record isn't that, I guess, straight rock oriented, at least the first half of that song. And then the second half, it goes into like kind of a flaming lips kind of place. And there's a couple other spots on this record that I heard a little bit of a flaming lips kind of mm-hmm. um, idea of uh, free Mars. I can hear a little bit there too. Right. Um, were you hearing that? Yeah, I totally get what you're talking about yeah. with regards to there being just like a trippy element. Um, it's like it, trippy, but still poppy kind of in a Sergeant Peppers kind of way. Right. And what's funny yeah, is that weird at this point, the, I don't think that the, the lips had really, coalesced into that idea they were still sort of this ragtag sort of she don't use jelly end and it wasn't really until mm-hmm. the um the uh later albums like the end of the 90s and 2000s where they started to like really embrace like on yoshimi and battles the mm-hmm. pink robots and that kind of stuff we really sort of like st- got rid of sort of the noisy quirk and focused on sort of big lush melodies and and arrangements and stuff like that so this sort of actually predates that a little bit Mm -hmm. um so but yeah i definitely there's a definitely an appreciation of 60s psychedelic psychedelic sounds and psychedelia Mm -hmm. and um i you know I'm sure that Pink Floyd is an influence on on all of this. Uh you know, the seventies stuff, the Sid Barrett era. Um Yep. So that that totally makes sense. Yeah, I heard a little bit of uh like my my good fishwife too. Uh, I heard a little bit of uh Pete Townsend uh delivery and how the vocal um melody is constructed and just how that comes together too. I think that's what's again the so interesting about this record is just the bits and parts that are familiar in unexpected ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. like things you don't you don't think you're gonna hear when you get into a record like this that you hear and that peek out um from time to time. It is not surprising, Jay, that this was not a smash hit on alternative rock radio in nineteen ninety seven. Right. Right. This would have this would have had gone down a pretty wild road for it to be a breakout smash hit so uh, there's no point in trying to debate why it didn't work out there this it reminds me of like that first uh the first brad record shame in that it's like a direct to cut out ben record um that you take a chance on and you start listening to and you're like oh this is not what i expected right and then all of a sudden you find yourself you know, three months later, obsessed with the record and you can't turn it off. Like yeah. I totally see it, uh, in that way that maybe some of the, you know, uh, people come together and set some expectations, got them a deal, whatever. And then, you know, it's okay. Yeah. This is not commercially viable at all, but 
um, it's it's full of all kinds of uh, earworms if you give it a chance. So Jay, let's talk about our overall rating on this record. Worthy album, better EP, decent single. Where are you at? I'm in a worthy album. Yeah, I mean, I think it it works like I mentioned earlier. Works as a complete listen. I think it's sequenced well. I think it's conceptually it makes sense. It's got a good amount of variety. Um, so it keeps you engaged, even though it's experimental. Um, it doesn't go so far off the rails that you get annoyed or you know bored. Um, sometimes you know, uh, for me, me at least, experimental records can do that. So um, you know, there's there's some songs I like better than others, but um, I'm going to say it's a complete uh, worthy album just because it's so complete in, in concept and execution. I agree with you. I echo, I echo those similar sen- uh, st- sentiments in the sense that like this works in such a ebb and flow kind of way to be like chopping it up for any purpose would be difficult. Um, it just, it has a, a sound to it. That's so wholly unique in the production that uh, it just, you just kind of have to put it on and let it go and um, find the spots that where they work for you. Cause even within the same song, you might find three or four things that work and three or four things. that Yeah. Don't work. So yeah, there's a couple teams on here. The second half and the first half couldn't be more different too. So you got to right. stick with them and things change. I guess the last thing I'll say about this is that uh, this is a great example of, we can have a lot of fun programming some radio um uh, uh, mm-hmm. programs around this because first off you can't uh, at least i couldn't find this album streaming anywhere um so you're not gonna be able to find it very easily unless you can dig up the cd uh on amazon used or something and so first off you'd be able to hear it but it'd be fun to kind of program this with some of the w- weird influences here and there um some of the other bands and some of the other music we talked about so you kind of get a sense of like where it's coming from and how it fits together and you know kind of create like this whole mesh of psychedelic uh <laughs> music that's in this vein some of the bands that these guys these guys other uh other bands these people are in and um it would make for a satellite couple hours of uh radio programming so oh yeah head over to patreon and support us we'd love to get that going we need to thank our suggestor mr james stelter for picking this record and adding this to our catalog of reviews yeah. this is a good one and good dick. If you want to join us, go to patreon.com forward slash. You've heard about the giveaway we've got coming up. You also get access to our polls to vote in and bonus content that we put up from time to time. And if you like what you heard, leave us some positive feedback over at iTunes. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We are out and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. Zazzle.